First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. It's on page 1,364 of the Pew Bible, if you need to grab one from the pew rack in front of you. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? What this chapter 10 is about is the way that the Corinthians overestimated the sacramental power of the Lord's Supper as a kind of immunization against the destructive effects of idolatry and the way they underestimated the true purpose of the Lord's Supper as a fellowship with Christ and a spiritual feasting upon Christ that could, in fact, wean one away from even the temptation to want to be involved in idolatry. It was an overestimating of the Lord's Supper and an underestimating of the Lord's Supper. They, they saw the eating of the bread and the drinking of the drink as a kind of vaccine. That if they did it regularly enough, would immunize them against the, the judgment of God and the destruction that might come if they drank some of the poison of idolatry in some of the Corinthian feasts that were going on around them. So if they just showed up and took the bread and took the drink, there would be an inoculation and they'd be safe from the diseases of sin around them. That was an overestimation of the Lord's Supper. And they correspondingly underestimated its true purpose of being a spiritual, personal interaction with Christ, feeding upon him spiritually, nourishing our hearts with all that he purchased when his body was broken and his blood was shed. They didn't understand that by and large, it seems, and therefore they missed the true power of the Lord's Supper as they tried to use it in an artificial, external, and merely sacramental way. Now, what we're dealing with in this chapter, therefore, is tremendously important for the body of Christ, for Bethlehem. The Lord's Supper that we have just experienced is precious beyond words for the body of Christ. It is a gift to the church from the 
the risen Lord Jesus. And it is meant to be an occasion where we commune with Him, where we nourish our soul's needs from His all-sufficiency, and where we eat of the benefits that He bought by His broken body and drink from the fountain that He opened when He shed His blood, and so experience afresh and more deeply our forgiveness and our liberty and our strength in Him. The the real transaction of the Lord's Supper is not in the mouth. It's in the heart. God has wed these things and we will not break them asunder. But we will not fall prey to the mistake that the Corinthians were making that somehow this external act of eating and drinking could immunize us from what can only be protected from by a spiritual transaction in the heart. Now, I want to unpack these two mistakes. I don't expect you to take my my word for this, that that's in fact what's going on here. I'm summing up, and now I'm going to move in and try to unpack these two overestimatings and underestimating. To set the stage... Let me say and show you that the whole chapter is held together by the theme of idolatry. Verse 14, we read that one. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Then drop down to verse 19, you see it again. What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. Then drop down, we didn't read this, to verse 28. If anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, there it is again, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for conscience sake. And then jump all the way back up to verse 7. We didn't read this paragraph either. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. In other words, all three major paragraphs, we read the middle one, all three of them are held together by this theme of idolatry. Something is going on in Corinth that makes this a very relevant issue. And and we all know what that is. There were idols in Corinth. There were pagan feasts in which questions were forced upon the church. Do we eat the meat that was used in those sacrifices when it's hung up in the market? Is that okay? How do you tell if it's been sacrificed? Is that okay, Paul? That's one of the questions. Or what if one of these pagans invites us out to to their house to dinner and they serve us meat and we don't know whether the meat has been offered to the idol. Is that okay? Or what if they actually invite us to the temple and we want to do good friendship evangelism? Should we go with them to their idolatrous ceremony? I mean, these were, these were not hypothetical issues about idolatry in Corinth. And they're not today either, even though the idols and the sacrifices are different. The first mistake against this background that the Corinthians made was to overestimate the power of the Lord's Supper to make them immune from God's judgment when they drank the poison of idolatry. Now, this is all spelled out in verses 1 to 14, which Tom didn't read and isn't part of our text, but I want to use it as a a stepping stone into the text we did read. 
Let me summarize what I think the Corinthians were saying, to which verses 1 to 14 is a response, and then we'll read part of it, and you can see if you think this is what they were saying. I think they were saying, I eat supernatural food. I drink supernatural drink. In fact, I went through the waters of baptism. And I do this probably every week. And I'm therefore secure. I'm immune from God's judgment. I mean, I eat God. I am safe. I will not come into judgment. And if I hobnob with some of my old friends and do some of my old things and even go to the sacrifices and and even eat the meat while they're doing it and they think that I'm still participating... Well, that's okay because I'm immune, I'm safe, I'm secure because I eat the real stuff on Sunday. Now, that's a mistake. Grave one. And the way Paul shows it's a mistake is real interesting. He goes back to the Israelites and he tells the story about how the Israelites, God's people, also pass through water like baptism They also had supernatural food in the wilderness, manna. They also drank supernatural water from a rock that seemed to follow them, like Christ being there for them. And they were not safe. Let's read it now, starting at verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were still under the cloud, were all under the cloud, I think the the cloud, the pillar of cloud that led them, perhaps representing the Holy Spirit, moving before the people of God, establishing the kingdom. And all passed through the sea, that is the Red Sea at the Exodus, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the Israelites were blessed with God with a kind of deliverance through water. Typical of baptism. They had their awesome experience of passing through water in deliverance from the old life in Egypt to the new life, moving toward the promised land. Verse 3. And all ate the same spiritual food, just like you do there in Corinth. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, like you do there in Corinth. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. In other words, they had their manna, They had their miracle water that gushed out of the desert when Moses used his rod. And these were types of the Lord's Supper and Christ, our rock. Verse 5 turns the tables now and warns the Corinthians and us and them. Nevertheless, in spite of all this participation in supernatural activity, With most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. That is, they died in the wilderness, and they didn't get to the promised land, which represents heaven. Now, these things happened as examples, verse 6 says, or types for us, that we should not crave evil things as they craved, and do not be idolaters, Corinthians. Don't think that you can be immunized by the drinking and the eating of the Lord's Supper from participation and its destructive effects when you go down to those pagan feasts. The mistake they were making is 
that they overestimated the sacramental importance of baptism. They were thinking that by eating, by drinking, they were somehow becoming secure or immune from the poisonous effects of idolatry. And that description of their relationship to the Lord's Supper is frighteningly similar to the relationship or the description of millions of people's attitude towards the Lord's Supper today. Many people treat it as a grace dispenser, a sacramental antidote which immunizes them from judgment such that the rest of their lives can look just like their idolatrous friends because they show up week by week to do the sacrament thing. It's real dangerous, real dangerous, according to 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 12 is another part of the warning. Let him who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. If you think you stand by virtue of eating and drinking and passing through the waters of baptism, if you think you stand by that, take heed. You're about to fall because nobody stands by eating and drinking and baptism. Nobody. So the first mistake they made was that they overestimated the power of the Lord's Supper to protect them from the destructive effects of idolatry. In essence, what they did was this. They substituted sacramentalism for personal holiness or for personal communion with the living Christ beneath the eating and drinking. Now, the other mistake that they made was the opposite. They underestimated the purpose of the Lord's Supper as spiritual fellowship with Christ. They overestimated it as a kind of external, automatic ritual that secured them. And they underestimated it as a magnificent occasion for communing spiritually with the living God and strengthening their soul by grace and by feeding at the banquet table of all that Christ bought for us when his body was broken on the cross, they didn't seem to catch on to this level, which does indeed have power to free us from idolatry. Now, I want you to see this, and the best way to see it is to start at verse 14 and look at the paragraph that Tom did read. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And then verse 15 says, now be earnest and be serious and listen to what I say. Judge for yourselves if this is not the case. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, verse 16 comes the argument with a rhetorical question that everybody knows the answer to. And the argument is very interesting. There are a lot of ways to argue about against idolatry. I wonder how many people would think about arguing against idolatry by appealing to the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That's what's going on here. Verse 14, flee idolatry. Verse 16 is the reason, is the argument. Namely, isn't the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, how's that an argument against idolatry? 
Or what does that mean? Specifically, those two phrases, sharing in the body of Christ and sharing in the blood of Christ. What does that mean? That when we eat the bread, we share in the body of Christ. And when we drink the cup, we share in the blood of Christ. Does that mean that the bread becomes the body physically and that we actually are eating the the physical body of Christ and the cup becomes physically the blood of Jesus and we are actually drinking the blood of Jesus and so we are sharing in the blood of Jesus by drinking real, living Christ's blood. That's the view of Roman Catholicism and with slight alterations, the view of other groups. Well, how do you decide a question like that? What, what, where do you look for clues as to whether that's what sharing in the blood and sharing in the body means? Now, the, what, the way I would do it is to look for this word sharing, because that's, that's the key word here. What is this share that happens? The clues are the way that word is used in verse 18 and verse 20. We could go back to chapter 1, verse 9, where it talks about a, a sharing in the sun and other places. But let's just stay right here in, in the immediate context. Let's look at verse 18 for our first clue of what it means to share in the blood and in the body of Christ. Verse 18 says, look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers, same, same idea, sharers, same basic word, sharers in the altar? So, in verse 16, you've got sharers in the body and blood, and here you've got sharers in the altar. Now, when you eat the sacrifice offered on the altar, and you become a sharer of the altar, does that mean you eat the altar? Probably not. It probably means something's happening, some spiritual transaction between God and man is happening on that altar, and you share in that. And what's happening, we all know from those Old Testament sacrifices, is that guilt is being removed, sins are being forgiven, peace is being restored, reconciliation is being offered, gratitude is being received. Those are the spiritual dynamics that are happening in this sacrifice on the Old Testament altar. And therefore, I think verse 18 means that when, when Israel made those sacrifices... They were drawn in to that spiritual transaction so that their sins became forgiven and their guilt became removed and they enjoyed peace with God and they were reconciled with God and their gratitude was being received by God. And they shared in the altar, meaning in what was happening on the altar, what God was offering on the altar. Now, if you go back up to verse 16 and let that kind of sharing inform the meaning of When we drink, we share in the blood. And when we eat, we share in the body. Then I think the picture is something like this. When Christ died on the cross and his body was rent and broken and his blood was shed, something was happening. The whole Bible talks about this. Something was happening. Sins were being forgiven. Guilt was being removed. Justification was being established. Reconciliation was being wrought. Peace was being offered. Gratitude was being prepared for. And to become a sharer in that event, that body broken, that blood shed, that sacrifice, I think means 
what it did probably in verse 18, namely, my sins are experienced as forgiven. My guilt is experienced as lifted. My alienation is overcome with reconciliation. My enmity with God becomes peace. And that's the freshness that we eat, we feed on at this table. We draw in all the benefits of the cross as we eat and as we drink at the Lord's table. And we become sharers in the blood and in the body in the sense that we become sharers in all the benefits that they bought for us. The other clue of the meaning of sharers is in verse 20. And this broadens yet our understanding of what's happening at the Lord's table. Let's start with verse 19 to to fit verse 20 in context. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Now, he's warning against a misinterpretation here. He's saying, now, the reason I'm cautioning you and warning you not to be engaged in idolatry is not because I believe idols, the the, the rock and the stone and and the wood, are anything. They're just stone. You don't need to be afraid of them. That's not the reason I'm warning you. But... Verse 20, no, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become, now here's the word again, sharers in demons, sharers of demons. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you eat the demons? Probably not. When you, when you participate in the sacrificial meal at a pagan idol feast, do you eat the demon? Is that what Paul means? No. You become a sharer with the demon in that some kind of alliance begins to be formed. Some kind of submission begins to be offered. Some kind of yieldedness. The demon is given more leeway. There's a, there's some kind of union starting to happen here. Some kind of vulnerability being offered up to that demon that Paul doesn't want to happen to believers. Now, if you take that meaning of the word sharers back up to verse 16 again, like we did with verse 18, and let it inform sharer or sharing in the body and sharing in the blood of Christ, then I think the idea becomes there too instead of being vulnerable to demons, we should be vulnerable to Jesus. Instead of yielding to demons, we should yield to Jesus. Instead of having an alliance with demons, we should have an alliance with Jesus. Instead of giving leeway in our lives to demons, we should give leeway to Jesus. There should be a kind of union and coming together of us and Christ in this meal. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we share in Christ broken and bleeding, as opposed to demons. There's a living transaction going on. It's not just an eating with the mouth and a drinking with the mouth. That's why I think we call it communion. Not just that we commune with each other, but that we commune in a living way with Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So the second mistake now that the Corinthians made was not only that they 
overestimated the sacramental power of the Lord's Supper externally and automatically to immunize them against the dangers of idolatry. That's wrong. They should not have estimated it that highly. It doesn't work like that. They also, secondly, underestimated its true, genuine significance, which we've seen now has less to do with the physical transaction in the mouth and more to do with the spiritual transaction through and under and around that whereby we nourish ourselves on Christ, not demons. We align ourselves with Christ. We fellowship with Christ, not demons. We sit down with Christ at the banquet of the benefits of his broken body. That's my favorite way of saying it. What's happening at this table is that we sit down with Christ at the banquet of the benefits of his broken body. With Christ, his body broken, purchasing all the benefits, and they are legion. And the best one of all is Christ, his fellowship. Verse 21 makes explicit why it is so powerful once you move in on the real meaning of the Lord's Supper. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't. What do you mean you can't, Paul? They were doing it, weren't they? You can't, he says. You, you cannot serve two masters. You, you hate the one and love the other. Sound familiar? You can't sit at the table of demons and sit at the table of the Lord. Why not? You can if this is just external. If this is just an external thing, kind of like a vaccination on the skin that protects you from the dangers of idolatry, you can sit at both tables. So he's assuming when he says that a meaning for the Lord's Supper that makes it impossible. And the meaning of the Lord's Supper is the spiritual one by which we share in the benefits of Christ, spiritually feeding our souls upon what he has bought for us, nourishing ourselves on the hope that is in Christ, drawing near to Him while we eat and while we drink and casting ourselves upon Him and receiving Him and strengthening our heart and strengthening our soul and increasing our hope and our joy and our love for Him. If that's happening in the Lord's Supper, it is spiritually impossible to get up and sit down at the demon's table. Can't do it. Because... Christ satisfies when you feed on Christ. If you open yourself to Christ and say, I take you, I receive you, I take everything you bought for me at the table. And what does Romans 8.32 say that is? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more surely with him freely give us all things with him. I take you and the all things that you are for me and I eat and I drink and I am satisfied. And when that happens and you get up and you walk out of here, you cannot sit down at the table of demons. You cannot sit down at the feast of idolatry. And so let me close by just saying this one word of application. This text is not mainly about the Lord's Supper. It's mainly about what the Lord's Supper has to do with Monday. That's what the text is about. Have you heard it? 
This text is about the threats of idolatry in your life tomorrow, this afternoon, tonight. You all know what the idols are in your life. They're different from the guy next to you. You all have idols that are tempting to you. And to sit at the feast of those idols, to satisfy the longings of your soul, is the meaning of temptation. And the meaning of the Lord's Supper now this morning is, if you have experienced it truly, you cannot profane it tomorrow. By sitting down at the feast of idolatry and saying to whatever that is in your life, Christ is not enough. He does not satisfy my heart. I have unmet longings that he will not meet and his goodness and his sovereign grace in my life is insufficient. And therefore, I come to you, whatever you are, whoever you are, and I ask that you would do what Jesus can't do for me. That's temptation. It's true for everybody in this room at different levels. And I just plead with you, flee from idolatry. Do not profane this table and the preciousness of Christ in your life by moving from the table of the Lord to the table of demons. Let's pray. I invite you to take the wonderful privilege of praying with the prayer teams if there is something really burdening you this week. They'd love to help carry your load and fight the fight with you. And now, Lord, we close with a final appeal. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as we flee from idolatry this week and as we continue in communion with the living Christ and maintain our place beside him at the table of the banquet of the benefits which he bought with his own broken body.